0: Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. All right. Good morning, church. We love our worship band. I especially love the blonde guy up front. For those of you who don't know that's my husband and i am shauna deal i am the children's pastor here at montrose and we just want to welcome you this morning um, i guess we figured since the men are away at men's retreat that we'd let the ladies take over a little bit this weekend so i'm happy to be here i wanted to take this opportunity because often people will ask us since we're still somewhat new where we're from, or where I'm from. And it's never a simple answer. So I thought I would take this opportunity to just give you the whole rundown. So I was born in Topeka, Kansas. Go Chiefs. <laughs> uh <Uh-oh. laughs> And then when I was a few months old, we moved to Hooker, Oklahoma. You heard that right. And then <laughs> we moved to, when I was a few years old, we moved to Blythe, California. And then in kindergarten, we moved to Council Bluffs, Iowa. I really liked Iowa. (laughs) And then in fourth grade, we moved to Visalia, California. And so often, I will tell you that I grew up in Visalia because I lived there from fourth grade until I graduated high school. And my senior year of high school, my parents, my family, they up and moved to Denver, Colorado. And so I finished out my senior year with my grandparents. And then about three days after I graduated, they put me in a car and took me to Denver with them. In Denver, I met my husband, Dalton. And because of him and other reasons, I ended up going to college for my freshman year at Mid-America Nazarene University in Olathe, Kansas. My sophomore year, I transferred to Trevecca Nazarene University in Nashville, Tennessee. We lived there for seven years. That's where I got my degree in education, and I started teaching. I taught first grade for three years. That's also where I began my master's degree online from Northwest Nazarene University. So if you have any questions about Nazarene universities, I'm your girl. (laughs) Gone to almost all of them. (laughs) And then our life just kind of shifted in Nashville, and we decided we wanted to try to make our way out to LA. And through a series of events, I ended up getting the job here at Montrose Church, and now we're here in La Crescenta, Montrose. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) That's the story. I've lived in a lot of places. And today, we're talking about trust. And you see, I had a lot of trust in how much my family loved me. I don't have kids of my own, but my one piece of parenting advice would be never let your kids doubt just how much you love them. Simple as that. Coming from a kid who's now grown up, I've never doubted once in my life how much they love me, and it's really made all the difference for me. I had firm trust in their love. I had a little less trust in where they would take me. (laughs) (laughs) To the point that I started to get pretty traumatized by these big talks we would have about us moving. You know, they would sit us down and we'd get the talk that we got to pack up and we're going to go again. So I would anticipate that and be afraid of that moment. To the point that one morning, my dad said, Shauna, I need you to come to the living room. You need to sit down on the couch, and I need to tell you something important. And he told me that, and I sat down, and I just burst into tears. Oh, no, it's happening. No, dad, please. I don't want to move. I love it here. And he's like, what? No, we're not moving. I just need to show you how to use the remote so you can record the Chiefs game. (laughs) That was really important. So I had firm trust in their love less trust and maybe where they would take me which reminds me of often our relationship with God so today we're talking about how we can lay our trust in what is known his love and let his love lead us to what is unknown pastor Dave is gone but he's left us with an objective our objective is this to examine how to live in a way that builds trust he writes living in trusting ways develops the ability for others to attach Being a teacher, I like to give my kids an overview and an expectation of what I will be teaching and what they will be learning. I believe this works for adults just like it works for kids. So here's an overview of what we will be talking about today. We'll be examining Romans 12, 11 through 20 and how to apply this to being a trustworthy person. We're going to ask ourselves, who is a trustworthy person? I think of someone who you feel safe with, who you can be your authentic self with, someone who shows up, Someone who shows grace and justice in your relationship with them. Someone who makes you feel known. After we look at these things, I will share the reasons why I believe we can trust God in my personal journey with trust in him. I do this because I believe it's really important. I believe trusting in God precedes leading a trustworthy life. I wanna share with you a quote from my favorite book, Ruthless Trust by Brennan Manning. He writes, "'The most brilliant student I ever taught in seminary "'was a young man named Augustus Gordon. "'He now lives as a hermit six months each year "'in a solitary cabin deep in the Smoky Mountains. "'The remaining half year, "'he travels the country preaching the gospel. "'On a recent visit, I asked him, "'Gus, could you define the Christian life "'in a single sentence?' "'He didn't even blink before responding. "'Brennan,' he said, "'I can define it in a single word, trust.'" I've come to a place in my journey that I believe trust is is the foundation of everything, of our relationship with God and with others. Pastor Dave has been going through the book of Romans and how Paul details how we should live our Christian life. Ironically or not so ironically, Romans chapter 12 is my favorite chapter in the Bible. I always have our kids read along with us on sundays because like i said i'm a former first grade teacher and i like for kids to practice their reading whenever they can and i think we all need a little bit of practice this morning so if you could read our scripture along with me today it says never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the lord be joyful in hope patient in affliction faithful in prayer If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Good job. (laughs) So Romans 12 is describing the Christian life. We are examining it today as instructions for how we should live and how it builds trust with those around us. From this scripture, I see five points five P's to be exact, that we can practice in our lives to build trust with those around us. Number one, patience makes people feel safe. Be patient in affliction. I have one main rule for my team, for my kids' ministry team, and it's this. No freakouts allowed. Now, this is mainly reserved for Sunday mornings or any time that we consider game day. I tell them, you can come freak out to me any time during the week. You can call me on the phone that we can freak out. But on game day, let's keep that to a minimum. And the reason being, I just don't think it's the time or the place. And my number one goal with the kids is always to make them feel safe and comfortable. That's because I believe that's how relationships grow, when someone feels safe. Patience and a level of control over our emotions is necessary in order to build trust with the people around us. They must know that they can be their authentic self with us and our emotions won't force us to react in a way that might be hurtful. We should be patient with those who are afflicted. We should be a listening ear for as long as it takes again and again. I have friends like this and it makes all the difference for me. Point number two. The power of prayer for others. We should be faithful in prayer. William Barclay says, When a man ceases to pray, he despoils himself of the strength of the almighty God. We need to remember that our God is not a teddy bear to squeeze, but a powerhouse. And we have the invitation to step into that power. If we offer to pray for someone, we should follow through. We should step into that power for them and let them know that we're doing so. My people often tell me that they're praying for me and it gives me the strength that I need. I'm getting a lot of texts this morning. (laughs) We should intercede for those around us as Jesus intercedes for us. Number three, practice hospitality. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Hospitality is huge, I think it's the gateway to meaningful community. It truly can change a person's life to know that they have a home outside of their own home. And this is coming from the often new person. You know, it was ultimately hospitality that brought Dalton and I here to LA. Dalton was working a lot more in LA, and he needed a place to stay. And my parents remembered the Roberts family. And so they contacted Dave and Cindy, and they didn't miss a beat. They invited us into their home, and we stayed there multiple times. And from that, a relationship formed. And from that relationship, it paved a way for us to come here. And it's been so fulfilling for both of us. And I often think about how that small act of obedience that they had to this instruction changed the course of our lives. But I want to make a point that hospitality isn't limited to opening up your home. I used to often get very overwhelmed and convicted because I I didn't have a home that could accommodate much, so I didn't feel like I could be hospitable. And there's two things I've learned from this struggle. One, you don't have to have much to be hospitable. Giving your best actually means a lot to people. Also, hospitality isn't always just inviting someone over for for a meal. It's simply just stepping into one another's lives and serving them there, whatever that looks like. It makes me think of a story of when I was teaching. I taught at the largest elementary school in Metro Nashville Public Schools. We had over 1,000 kids for grades kindergarten through fourth grade. And so when I started, we were coming out of the building. There wasn't enough room for all of us. There were 10 first grade teachers. And so I got put out in a portable my first year. And I don't know if you've seen a portable, but they're okay. But I did my best to make it as cozy as I could, but it's still a portable. And um, I remember one morning getting the class, and I looked at my carpet, my classroom rug, and there was stuff all over it. It was like something had fallen from the ceiling. And there was all this junk on the carpet. And it really bothered me. And <laughs> I love my carpet. you know. I raised money to get that thing, and I knew that the kids were going to be sitting on it. And I knew it didn't really matter that much, but this is kind of revealing something about me. I was just fixated on that mess. <laughs> and I couldn't go on teaching without figuring out how to clean it up, even though I knew I should just keep teaching. But I couldn't stand it. So I decided, OK, I'm going to have my portable mate watch my kids, and I'm going to run inside, go upstairs, go to my friend's classroom, and get her vacuum. <laughs> I knew I shouldn't really be doing this because it's instruction time, but I'm like, I have to, I can't keep teaching with this mess. So I run inside, I get the vacuum, I run out in the hall with a vacuum in my hand, and who's there but my assistant principal, of course. Now, luckily, it was a big school, like I said, we had multiple principals, and he was the nicest one, (laughs) Mr. Man, but still, he's my boss, and he's catching me doing something I'm not really supposed to be doing. So I say, oh, he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm really sorry. There was a mess on my rug, and I just had to clean it up. I'm really sorry. He's like, give that to me. And he takes the vacuum, and he follows me back to my portable. I'm kind of nervous. And we get back in the portable, and he plugs that thing in, and he vacuums my rug for me while I continue teaching. And it was just such a significant moment for me and for a lot of reasons, but it reminds me of this point that we can step into one another's lives, however that looks, and serve them with grace. Point number four, peaceful living. This scripture talks a lot about living peacefully. It says, we should bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another, do not be conceited, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It is mine to avenge, he says. Pastor Dave has been telling us that we are the salt and light of the earth. We enhance wherever we are, whoever we're with, whatever we are doing, We bring more joy to joyful situations. We join in sorrow when there's sorrow. That's our call. William Barclay tells us, It is easier to weep with those who weep than to rejoice with those who rejoice. It is only when self is dead that we can take as much joy in the success of others as in our own. That's tough. Our peace with others extends trust. One shouldn't fear association with you. But find comfort as we do in Christ Jesus. I'll read that again. One shouldn't fear association with you, but find comfort. And God says, It is mine to avenge. I know some of us have deep hurt, and sometimes that's from other people, and that's hard. Paul gives us reasons why we are to keep ourselves from taking revenge. He's essentially saying that to stoop to vengeance is to ourselves be conquered by evil. Evil can never be conquered by evil. If hatred is met with more hatred, it is only increased. But if it is met with love, it is an antidote for the poison. As Booker Washington said, I will not allow any man to make me lower myself by hating him. The only way to destroy an enemy is to make him a friend. Point number five, people of trust. We should be people of trust. We should be an example of others of trust by how we live our lives and how we treat one another. We should be joyful in our hope. So, how do we keep our joy? My mom, I have a really great mom. And when I was young, I remember this advice that she gave me, and I've held on to it my whole life. Um, I was young. I was pretty little, and I would tell her, Mom, I just sometimes feel sad, and I don't know why. Um, I just, I, it's hard to be happy, and I, I, it bothers me. I don't know why. And she said, Shauna, I want you to try something. When you go to school tomorrow, I want you to focus on everyone else. I don't want you to focus on yourself. I want you to see how you can love one another, how you can serve your friends, how you can build them up. And she said, and I want you to see if that makes you feel better. And it always did. I think that's how we keep our joy, by serving and loving one another. In order for us to live a life that builds trust with others, we should establish our trust in God. Jesus didn't ask his disciples to trust in him. He demanded it. Bluntly, he said, trust in God and trust in me, John 14, 1. When I was teaching, it was my third year teaching. And like I said, we had a really big school. And this year, we had a boy who was just really struggling. His behavior was got to the point that it was really bad, to the point that he had to be rotated to a different teacher every hour or so, just because he couldn't handle being in one classroom at one time. And there were 10 of us. So that was a lot of rotating. And so one day they told me, Shauna, Starting tomorrow, he's going to start coming to your class in the morning for an hour or so. So I had to prep my kids for what was about to change. So I got them on the carpet. And I said, all right, friends, so starting tomorrow, we're going to have a new friend with us. He's really nice, but he gets kind of upset sometimes. So before he gets here, we just need to make sure that we put away our scissors. We can't have those out. And I said, oh, and we, we have to put away our glue, too, because I knew that he was known to squeeze out glue onto computer keyboards when he was upset. So we have to put away our glue. And I said, oh, yeah, and if I say the word rocket, that's a code word. And that means you all need to get up and get out of the classroom as fast as you can and leave and go to Miss Kylie's classroom. So I'm telling them all these things. And I'm looking at their little faces and realizing their eyes are getting bigger. (laughs) And I think, oh, no, what have I done? And so I said, oh, no, tell me how you're feeling. What is going through your mind? Just let's talk about this. How are you feeling right now? And I had one of my boys, one of my sweetest little boys, raise his hand. And I called on him. And he said, uh, I'm feeling fear. (laughs) And he looked around at everyone else like, anybody else? (laughs) And so I love that moment. And yes, I did have to use the code word rocket a few times. Um, But as funny as that moment was, I can relate. I often find myself feeling fear. But we have promises in God that we can find our peace in. Because life is filled with problems, God's word is filled with promises. Promises. I've been reading a book by Max Lucado called called Unshakeable Hope, and he talks about these promises, and I just want to share a few with you. One, we are stamped in God's image. It's hard to feel important sometimes in this world. Someone important? Hardly. But when you struggle with that question, remember the promise of God. You were created by God in God's image for God's glory. Promise number two, God gets you. Our high priest is able to understand our weaknesses, Hebrews 4.15. I want to read this section to you because I just love the imagery. It says, Jesus was willing for a time to forego the privileges of divinity and interhumanity. He was born just as all babies were born. His childhood was a common one. His body developed, his muscles strengthened, his bones matured. There is no evidence or suggestion that he was spared the inconveniences of adolescence. He may have been gangly or homely. He knew the pain of sore muscles and the sting of salt in an open wound. As an adult, he was weary enough to sit down at the well and sleepy enough to doze off in a rocking boat. He was hungry in the wilderness and thirsty on the cross. When soldiers pounded the nails through his skin, a thousand nerve endings cried for relief. As he hung limp on the cross, two human lungs begged for oxygen. The word became flesh. Does this promise matter? If you ever wonder if God understands you, it does. If you ever wonder if God listens, it does. If you ever wonder if the uncreated creator can, in a million years, comprehend the challenges you face, then ponder long and hard the promises of the Jesus is able to understand our weaknesses, Hebrews 4.15. And the third promise, Christ is praying for you. Jesus is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us, Romans 8.34. The Greek word in this verse that is translated interceding is a stout verb. It carries the sense of making specific requests or petitions before someone. I think that's a really comforting image of Jesus making specific requests to the Father on our behalf ponder this promise Jesus right now at this moment in the midst of your storm is interceding for you the king of the universe is speaking on your behalf he is calling out to the Heavenly Father he is urging the help of the Holy Spirit he is advocating for a special blessing to be sent your way you do not have to fight the wind and waves alone It's not up to you to find a solution. You have the mightiest prince and the holiest advocate standing up for you. Remember God's promises, his covenant with us. I learned the significance of God's covenant with us through a devotional book called Seamless. It says, when two people were in agreement about a covenant, they would take part in a ritual. The Hebrew word for the covenant is baroth. And to enter it, the two parties would divide a sacrifice. Translation, they would kill animals, cut them in half, and walk a figure eight pattern together between the bodies while reciting the conditions of the covenant. But this time, something was a little different. Because, after all, it's God we're talking about, not just two people. Genesis fifteen twelve says as the sun was setting Abram fell into a deep sleep and thick and dreadful darkness came over him that's right Abram was asleep that means God made the covenant with Abram God is obligated to uphold his end of the promise it was not a mutual agreement God is saying no matter what my promise stands When I read this, I was somewhat surprised because I hadn't realized that detail before, how interesting that Abram was asleep. But then I thought, of course. Of course Abram was asleep because how many times in my life has my soul been asleep? When my soul's asleep, but God's promise still stands. He is relentless in how he pursues me. He is not paused by my rejection or my ignorance or my lack of consciousness to his love. He is not stopped. His pursuit is unending. He will reach out for the lost one again and again. He is not paused by our rejection, not for a second. You see, I learned this when my dear friend passed about uh, uh, three years ago. My friend Megan was a heart transplant survivor who miraculously became pregnant after seven years post-transplant with her husband Nathan. They were our closest couple friends. I remember when she told me the doctor gave her the go-ahead to try for kids. And then I remember when again, over chips and salsa, they told us excitedly that they were pregnant. Again, we met over chips and salsa for what we didn't know would be the final time the Friday before she had the baby. Megan was with sweet Eileen Megan Kate Johnson, who is now about three, for six hours before she slipped from this earth and went to be with Jesus. I had never felt such grief. I didn't know that um, grief could be physical. I couldn't get my limbs to move. I remember Dalton and I going for a walk, and I felt like I was walking through sludge. I called random family members, begging them for help. It knocked the wind out of me, and I was down. I couldn't get up. And once I found myself down on the floor, I felt a father scoop me up. He carried me to live in Denver, Colorado with my parents for a few months as we were in transition to LA. I sat every night in my safe place, and I didn't realize it, but I was healing. God was filling in the cracks. Soon, I was miraculously, if you knew the details, you'd know the miracle, given this job at Montrose Church, where I was immediately surrounded with some of the most loving friends I've ever had, people I could trust. Again, God was filling in the cracks, putting me back together. I began to find my calling and realizing my purpose on this earth. And all the while, my God was not paused in his pursuit to put me back together. He was relentless in his attempts to make me whole. He covered me with his wings and he's still covering me. Like a hovering father, he doesn't go far. His grace goes before me. Even when my soul was asleep, his promise stood for me for i am your lord your god who takes hold of your right hand and says to you do not fear i will help you isaiah 41:13 you see we can live a trustworthy life because we serve a god we can trust i want to leave you with this quote today one of my favorite quotes by saint francis it says Do not look forward to the changes and chances of this life in fear. Rather, look to them with full hope. As they arise, God, whose you are, will deliver you out of them. He is your keeper. He has kept you hitherto. Do you but hold fast to his dear hand, and he will lead you safely through all things. And when you cannot stand, he will bear you in his arms. Do not look forward to what may happen tomorrow. Our Father will either shield you from suffering or he will give you the strength to bear it. That last line is the only option for me. He will shield you from suffering or he will give you the strength to bear it. It's the only way I can function in this world. I want to close praying a prayer over you today. It's a prayer that's actually in your notes page if you find it you can pray that I pray to put into practice to build your trust with God and in this prayer we refer to God as Abba which translates to father or even more closely to Papa and it's how Jesus referred to God let us pray Abba I surrender my will and my life to you without any reservation And with boundless confidence, for you are my loving Father. Abba, into your hands I entrust my body, mind, and spirit this entire day. Morning, afternoon, evening, and night. Whatever you want of me, I want of me. Falling into you and trusting in you in the midst of my life. Into your heart, I entrust my heart. Feeble, distracted, insecure, uncertain. Abba, unto you I abandon myself, in Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.